0: Join us for the great American Thanksgiving Day tradition. The streets of New York City are lined with millions of spectators, and holiday cheer is in the air. A celebration filled with television and music's biggest stars, world-famous balloons, incredible marching bands, phenomenal floats, and and Anian. Here we are in America. Everybody's got to join a gym. Everybody's got to run on a treadmill. Everybody's got to jog, ride a bicycle, get some exercise. But they're too lazy to get out of a vehicle, walk up to a front hub, and go click and move the four wheel drive hub from freewheel into lock. the The car doctor! All we really want to do is fix your car. We just want to solve your problem. We want to make you comfortable with it. We want to make sure you're not getting ripped off by your mechanic. We want to make sure that your mechanic. If they have any questions, they know who to call and that we're here to help them as well.
1: Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair.
0: If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here. welcome ron and Annie, in the car doctor here at 855-560-9900 that's 855-560-9900 i am ron and any in the car doctor the one and only here all these years waiting to talk to you about your car and its problem whatever you've got going on that's what the car doctor does and has done these past 25 years on radio more information about this radio show at cardoctorshow.com. There's an affiliate list there via tunein.com. Naturally, we are allowing you to subscribe to podcasts at iHeart, iTunes, and soon to be the uh, Google version of that. I'm not, I don't recall the name. I'm sure Tom will flash it to me in a minute. Um, Google Play. Google Play. Thanks, Tom. Uh, Google Play. That's uh, soon to be released, but we've already subscribed. The paperwork is in, so we're going to allow you to take the car doctor with you by podcast via Google Play. As uh, that's soon to come to uh, market too. And if you need me during the week and you can't get a hold of us, and remember that 855 560 9900 phone number is 24 7. You can call, leave a message when we're not on the air. This show's live Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. on the network and out onto the affiliates or some of the other affiliates on delayed broadcast. But if we're not at 855 560 9900, call and leave a message. Fast Harry, our executive producer, will uh, hook you up and uh, get you in queue. And we can talk to you about your car problem. But if you need me during the week, Ron at Cardoctorshow.com. I want to start off this week and, first of all, say thank you for being here. I'm I'm glad to be here with you. You know, I think about this show during the course of the week. And, uh, you know, you try to do this from the hip, and I have for so many years. And just be honest and just, uh, just what's off the top of your head. But I also have to sit and think, what will you tolerate? What will you listen to? and accept. And I want to just start off this hour by saying, and I hope it doesn't offend anybody, but how honest are you? Do you Are you honest with your mechanic and are you honest with yourself? Case in point, 2002 Chevy Monte Carlo, a Dale Earnhardt Chevy Monte Carlo came into the shop this week at RA Automotive. And I've known the owner for a long, long time. He used to be the parts manager for a, a local Volvo dealer, and then he's moved in and around the industry, and you always sort of stay in touch with your contacts. They just never seem to go away, and partly because I think the industry is shrinking and the database of available people is just is is shrinking, not growing. And you tend to stay in, stu- in, in touch with everybody. And when John brought it in, he wanted a coolant flush. Coolant flush and look it over and just, you know, what kind of condition is the car in? And a Dale Earnhardt Monte Carlo is a little special, all right? It's... It's a little bit of a a trivia piece. Obviously, it's a tribute to the man, and they're just nice cars. If this was a standard 2002 Chevy Monte Carlo with 130,000 miles on it, I would have told him take it to the crusher. But because it's an Earnhardt, because it was number 432 out of the proposed or produced 3,000, there wasn't a lot made that year, then it makes it a little bit of a rarity. But I looked at the car, and I... You know, I I went through and I did what I had to do. I scanned it. I did a checklist. It was in for a coolant service. I, I took out the rusty, brown, cruddy coolant and pumped in some fresh green. I'm not really sure why because, you know, John was going to just – it had been sitting and he wanted to just put some fresh coolant in it before he let it sit some more through the winter. And the honest question, the honest part is, is he being honest with himself? Is he ever really going to – fix this car is he and that's the part i don't get you know you're taking what's gee a a neat piece it's a piece of automotive history and you're letting it rot away the airbag light was on the coolant was disgusting the oil was muddy it had a misfire it had a misfire so bad that i was afraid to run the car long enough to let it warm up to, you know, once I did the cooling system service, I had to purge air, and it was sort of like, gee whiz, how long do we want to run it? How much damage do I want to do to the catalytic converter that hasn't been done already and the rest of the systems because it doesn't run right? There were oil leaks. The front brakes squeaked. And I kind of cringed, and as I backed it out of the shop just to put it out front because he was going to pick it up after the little bit of service, I looked at that little scale model model of, of Dale's car on the back shelf, and, you know, I, I think Dale would be crying. Um, he would have been upset, because that isn't what he envisioned for a Dale Earnhardt piece. And it made me think about other cars. You know, it's, it's funny, but lately there's a phenomenon going on, and I'm speaking out there to all the collectors. You guys that have those cars squirreled away in the garage that you're going to get to eventually, and you've got to be real honest with yourself. You know what? If you remember driving those cars back in their prime in the 50s and the 60s, you're even older than me, if that's possible. And you've got to ask yourself, you know, when? When are you going to do this? Either fix it, either restore it, or sell it to somebody. Take a kid into your wing and have them help you do it. And show them what car collecting and cruising and hot rods were all about. And and really, that's the point of this opening conversation, that I just want you to be honest with yourselves, that I want you to stop and take a look at the possibility of what are you saving it for? Because in John's case, as I pointed out to him when he picked it up, I said, John, you've got to get on this because at the rate you're going, there's not much left to save. The oil's getting muddy. The trans has a fault code in it. It's going to need to be overhauled. And I didn't say it to him from the point of trying to embarrass but trying to motivate. And that's what I'm trying to say to each and every one of you, because I realized I have this ability. I have this thing called a microphone that I get to speak through every Saturday and talk to you particularly about your problems, but also about my perspective on where this industry can go and where automobiles in general can go. I know one thing, that when you're gone, and that 63 split-window Corvette sitting in the garage underneath the car seats and the and the milk crates and all the other stuff you've got piled on it. And I know where there's one like this right here in New Jersey. So I'm not speaking, you know, out of school and, and not from fact. I know when you're gone, your kids are going to look at it and go, what are you going to do with Pop's old car? I don't know. It's junk. Let's just throw it away. And how much of a collectible is it then? Hello and welcome, Ron and Annie, and the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. This radio show is about cars, their problems, collecting them, talking about, restoring them, repairing them, making you feel comfortable with them. Down around the bottom of the hour, we've got a very special guest returning. It's been a while since we've talked to Jim Donnelly. Jim Donnelly from Hemmings Motor News, Classic Car Corner, if you recall, from three years ago. we've uh, We've been busy, Jim's been busy, but we decided to bring him back appropriately enough this time of year. We're going to talk to Jim about the turkeys of car collecting, those cars that didn't quite make it. And it's an interesting conversation. I've already had part of it with them, and I guarantee you, no, we're not going to talk solely about the Edsel. This isn't about just the Edsel, but there were some collectibles, the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, that some of them are surprising when you stop and look at the answers. One of them really shocked me. It stopped me in my tracks because it's one of the most sought-after cars today from the 50s. And um, it made me stop and think that, wow, I guess there's just something you don't stop and realize as time goes by. Coming up the second hour, we're going to be joined by Mike Zip Zippo's Electronics out of Bloomfield, New Jersey, blooming, I think it's, um, I'll get the address, I'll, I'll get the town where he is, but uh, Mike's been with us before, and we're going to talk about audio. We thought this time of year everybody's out getting ready going holiday shopping for whatever occasion you want to celebrate, and Mike's going to stop by to talk to us about car stereos and GPSs and all the neat things you can get in the way of electronics for your car. So we've got an awful lot in the next two hours. The phone banks are full. Let me pull over and take this pause. And when the car doctor returns, we're going to kick the garage doors wide open. Stay tuned.
2: Dashing through the snow in my rusty Chevrolet, down the road I go, sliding all the way.
0: Welcome back. Ron and Amy and the, the car, Doctor, sliding all along all the, the way here. Rusty Chevrolet. That song Held is... together
2: by a piece of I don't know. wire. Oh, rust and smoke, the heaters no. broke the door. All right, let me, me do the show.
0: Uh, rusty Why? Chevrolet. That sort of sounds anti-American, Tom. I'm not sure how I like that. Um, Chevrolets don't rust, they just quietly fade away. Ron and Amy in the car doctor here, let's kick the garage doors open at 855-560-9900. Harry, who do you have up first for me today? Hey oh, Ron, uh, just, first oh, my, call today. My wonderful executive producer, Fast Harry, thanks for uh, being here with us today, Harry. How was your week? I was good. Yeah, I. Um, how was your date? Yeah, it was good. You know, all America's watching. We actually received an email. Everybody wants to know how Harry's date was. Oh, uh, Harry's
1: date was great. She's yeah. a great girl. Yeah, and you had yeah. a good time. Where'd you oh, go yeah. last
0: night? I stand. you had a third date last night. Yeah, we went uh, go-kart racing. Yeah. Oh, It figures you would take a girl go-kart racing. Well, she wants to learn how to drive defensively and stuff like that, and I showed her. And who better from fast Harry? That's right. That's right, baby. Who do you got on the... Who you, do you know, got on the, on the funny part is we were racing on the track... And uh, they had the high-powered carts. And after we were done, I said, and what's the lesson here? She goes, Fast Harry rules. That's right. right. On, uh, against, what, uh, fast Harry drools? What was yeah. that? Yeah, what what was was that was drools, rules, whatever. Whatever. All right, uh, come on. Let's get back to business. Thank you. I'd like to do a show today. Can I? Can you tell me who's on my first up? Sure. Randy is on line one. Uh, he's from Shell Rock, Iowa. He's got a 2003 Chevy Avalanche, and he's got an exhaust leak that goes away, which kind of sounds like every wife's dream. No. Uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Are you guys done now? We're done. Okay, <laughs> thank fun. See you. So, let's not get carried away, boys. Randy, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. Pardon the, uh, pardon the boys. They're all riled up today. It's the holidays. How can I help?
2: Um, yeah, I've got an exhaust leak. It's on the left side, and uh, as, as the engine warms up, it just goes away completely.
0: Right. Is it? Is it forward, Randy? Is it right at the engine, at the manifold itself?
2: It doesn't last long enough for me to really tell. I can tell it's either at the quota where the uh, manifold hooks up to the exhaust right, or it's at the manifold
0: itself. At the head.
2: Have you ever heard of such a thing?
0: Yeah, sure. Very common. Matter of fact, avalanches, well, not avalanches, this has to be the 5.3 or the six zero. Yeah. Yeah, um, kind of common because there's not a lot of gasket material there. And if it even has a gasket, if it doesn't, what happens is the exhaust manifolds warp where it sits against the head. Here's the problem. Getting the bolts out of the head, for some strange reason, General Motors loctites the bolts into the head. So, you know, here's a truck 12 years old, 13 years old. Getting those bolts out of the head is going to be a project. And it takes a little bit of persuasion, and it takes a whole lot of time. You know, what are the things you could try, do you have access to any tools? Do you have access to a smoke machine by chance?
1: Not a smoke machine. About the best I can do is, like, a uh, TV blaster.
0: Okay. <laughs> you know, well, because to diagnose it, listen, if we were in the shop and we were going to diagnose it, if I had the vehicle overnight, I'd block off all the exhaust except for the tailpipe because this has to be the one side I'd figure out a way to just pump smoke in and look to see where, it, where does it come out of. And chances are you'll see the leak on that left side manifold, all right, uh, as far as pinpointing and finding the leak. The other thing you could try is if you can get it up in the air and look underneath. For some reason, they usually fail on the bottom of the manifold. It may be up top, but look for any signs of black, any signs of carbon tracing. At least then you know you're in the right area of the manifold itself because where there's carbon, there's a leak, all right? If right. it if it comes yep. down if yep. it if it comes down to where the manifold has to come off, if you need an excuse to buy a tool, this is probably the job for it. There's a product out there, and I don't remember the name of the company, but it's a it's a magnetic induction heater. They're not a lot of money. They're about five hundred bucks on Amazon. And what it is is it's 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 like the size of a a, a hair a hair um, curler. Okay, it's about twelve inches long. It's got a heating iron in the end of it. That uses magnetic induction, electronic induction. You touch the head of the bolt, it'll glow the bolt cherry red within a minute. And the reason it's nice on that job, and I've used it specifically for this, is that heat will melt the Loctite that GM put on the bolt that's now on the threads that's inside the head. So that little bit of direct okay. heat, that little bit of direct heat will loosen things up and you'll be able to spin the bolt out. Problem with PB, uh-huh. as good as PB or any rust penetrant is, it can't get inside yep. the threads inside the head. All right.
2: Yeah, especially if it's got Loctite.
0: Right. There's gonna be there's gonna be a pink Loctite. I won't say it's Loctite Loctite, but to me, it's a thread locker of some kind. And I never understood why yep. they would do yep. that. Uh, you know, like they're afraid the bolt's gonna fall out. I don't get it. Uh, you know, but it's it does make it does make removal on the vehicle as it gets older a whole lot worse all right sir okay give give that all a right, shot sir. and uh, let us know Hey, make out but it's a great idea if your family's listening or they want to know what you want for christmas get just get yourself one of those go uh, google an electronic induction heater and um uh, you won't be disappointed let's go over and talk to rich springfield mass 2006 toyota and some problems with filling it up with gas richard welcome to the car doctor sir how can i help you
2: Um, Yeah, I have, my daughter has a a 2006 Toyota Corolla. She got about a month ago, and whenever you fill up with gas, the tank fills fine, but then um, when the nozzle, the pump nozzle kicks off, about a quarter, half second later, about a cup full of gas comes and spits back out the uh, filler nozzle. Okay. And I tried checking the, you know, the the little uh, vent tube that goes along the, the filler neck, and that seemed clear. And I thought maybe something with the charcoal canister, as far as I can tell, that's fine. And then I tried removing the uh, vent between the charcoal canister and the tank and filling up with gas, and it still did the same thing.
0: Well, Richard, are you saying... So the only thing I can
2: think of is, like, if there's a check valve at the bottom of the fill neck tube, or maybe on the tank itself.
0: Yeah, hang on a second. Wait a minute. Are you saying, so you can put the nozzle in the neck and fill it up with fuel and you don't have a problem? Correct. It's when it kicks off fuel splashes out.
2: Right, about a quarter, half second later, yep.
0: Okay, what happens if you only fill the tank up halfway and turn the pump off?
2: Um, haven't tried that, but I assume it would be fine.
0: Okay, because I'd just be curious, is it because the level is so high, or is there something restricting flow, preventing it from going down the neck? There are some problems with the neck. I have not heard of this as a particular problem. What's very common, though, if this was a it-won't-take-gas question, it's more than likely in the charcoal canister, or it can be in the fill neck itself. The fill neck does have some problems in that, yeah, there is a check valve in it. There There is a device in there to prevent fuel from sloshing back, so I would focus my attention on the neck, just where you're going.
2: Okay. And that's why nobody's been able to tell me at the Toyota dealership or wherever whether the check valve is actually on the uh, fill neck piece or if it's actually on the tank, and the tank would have to be replaced.
0: Right. No, I believe it to be on the neck, but it is not a common question. It's not a common failure. Usually the way this gets diagnosed as far as a spit back out of the neck is we start talking about disconnecting the line between the canister and the neck and then the canister and the ORVR. And uh, working on it that way, the uh, vapor recovery system. So, but uh, take a look at the neck, and I think you'll find the problem there. I'm running any in the Car Doctor. Hey, coming up next, Jim Donnelly. A little bit of classic car information. What are the biggest turkeys of all time? Stay tuned, the Car Doctor's got the answers coming up right after this. the car doctor you know we all spent the summer and part of the fall looking at classic cars and going to car shows or cruising and and just saying you know look at these cars how great they are and the chrome and the polish but not everything as it appears and our next guest if you're a long time car doctor listener you'll recognize him right away he's jim donnelly He is with the folks over at Hemmings, Hemmings Motor News. More information about Jim and classic cars can be found at Hemmings.com, and we're thrilled to have him back here with us today, because we thought we would invite Jim back to talk a little bit about the turkeys of the classic car, this being the Thanksgiving weekend of The Car Doctor, and uh, we're thrilled to have him here with us once again. Mr. Donnelly, how are you, sir? My friend, it's good to hear
1: from you. It's been a while.
0: It's been a while. Time Mm -hmm. flies by. And, okay, uh, it's
1: it's great to be back. It really, really is, and I'm very <laughs> grateful. Um,
0: we're glad to have you. John. Uh,
1: however, I did not have turkey on Thanksgiving. I had meatloaf from Boston Market, so I could do this broadcast with a clear conscience.
0: Mm, well, because we're going to talk about turkeys, and you're going to get yes. your fill here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some cars are just iconic, right? Some some people look at iconic classic cars and say, "Wow, I remember that." It was, but they're not all what they appear. Let's take it by decade, Jimmy. The 30s. Absolutely. The 30s. What, what was the big turkey or turkeys of the 1930s?
1: Okay, let's take this in reverse order turkeys, plural. And there are probably people who would want to string me up by my ankles for this, but some of the biggest turkeys were what we call the full classics today. I'm talking Duesenberg, Packard, um, Marmon, Auburn, Cord, Pierce Arrow. Um, And if anybody in the audience is, is drawing in a collective gasp right now after hearing that, the problem with those cars was that as magnificent as they were, and as technically advanced as many of them were, they came out at the wrong time. They came out in the middle of the Depression, and a lot of those cars ended up being either scrapped in World War II metal drives, or beyond that, they ended up being uh, sometimes converted into farm trucks, tow trucks, uh, rural fire apparatus. Uh, I guess what we could take away from this, Ron, is that. When you're um, in a situation of introducing a new car or a new concept, the timing has got to be right. Timing is everything. Timing is everything.
0: So let me ask you this: So you're saying Duesenberg? I'm a gog. You know, to me, a Duesenberg is—I mean, what's a Duesenberg worth today, Jim? Uh, Round numbers.
1: Last one I I can recall seeing, which I believe was at Arms Sotheby's and. Um, monterey was about 1.6 million dollars
0: so a 1.6 million dollar car and you're calling it a turkey because the public didn't accept it so you know the timing of the depression was it that more people would have bought them if they had the money or was it that the styling and the appeal just didn't catch on
1: no, that's part the the point you raise, Ron, about people having money. Yes, that's part of it. Interesting. There was also a sociological aspect to it, where even people who had wealth and didn't lose it
0: didn't want to flaunt didn't it. Didn't
1: want to be seen in public right. in these incredibly ostentatious cars. Sure. Don't don't get me wrong. I think the Duesenberg is one of the grandest cars that the international auto industry has ever produced.
0: But I really do. It was just right, um, right car, wrong time.
1: And, however, given the product development cycle as existed back then, which was probably five years for a car as opposed to probably less than one today,
2: yeah.
1: um, Those those cars came out at absolutely the wrong time. They really did. And a lot of them didn't survive. They were scrapped or junked. Um, and uh, as a consequence of that, they are they're prized today. There's so few of them left.
0: Yeah, and that's what makes I believe them, there's
1: about 250 Duesenbergs left in the world. And that's what
0: makes them worth the one, one, 1. 1.6 million. So let me yeah, let, let me let me let me move it along. So the the beyond the what I'll call the out of the reach of the normal person. Chrysler, you know, Chrysler had some turkeys in the 30s, didn't they?
1: Yeah, and and to me that's a really sad story. It really is. Uh Chevrolet greatly upstanded their uh, excuse me um escalated their position in the market in the in the 30s going toward 1940 Ford obviously had the flathead V8 in a series of gorgeously styled cars by um Bud Gregory and others and Chrysler however took a flyer on this radically designed sedan that they called the Airflow. And it was a wonderful design. It really was. It was crash-worthy.
0: But they I know had there's a b-
1: demonstration of it being rolled down a mountainside and being dr- able to be driven away.
0: I know there's a button here.
1: The, yeah, there's always a button isn't it? Right. Um, the uh, problem was that it was simply too radical. The car had an extremely rounded, streamlined shape, and I think that Ford and General Motors were scared enough of it that um, they issued surreptitious product information saying, oh, well, these cars are built to be wrecked.
0: And that kind of did it, it
1: never really caught on with the public. It mm-hmm. never did. There was a Chrysler airflow, there was a DeSoto airflow, and there was also an Imperial airflow because Imperial was a separate nameplate of Chrysler back right. then right. and they just never caught on and it was gone by nineteen forty and If you go beyond that, Ron, and look at the cars that Chrysler produced into the 1940s and nineteen fifties, they were utterly conventional.
0: Uh, very Chrysler just innovative didn't want to stick their neck an out anymore. Yeah, Chrysler didn't Doring. want to stick their neck okay. out. Okay. Interesting.
1: Groundbreaking. Yeah. But they looked like shoeboxes.
0: <laughs> hey listen, before the clock takes us, in the forties there was the Packard clipper. Um, I know that's I know that's on the list too. So I'll tell you what, you think about an explanation for that in, in, in a minute or less while we're away. Let's pull over and take the pause. Stay right where you are, Jimmy. I'm running Ananian, The Car Doctor, here with Jim Donnelly of Hemmings. We'll both be back right after this. Welcome back, We're on Indy and in the Car Doctor. We're here with Jim Donnelly of Hemmings.com, Hemmings Motor News. Jim, when we pulled over and took the pause, we were just about to get into the 40s in Packard. And it's interesting to note that the fall of Packard in the 50s, one could make the argument, started in the 40s with that of the Packard Clipper.
1: It actually even started before that because Packard saw the writing on the wall, albeit too late, that uh, their these massively grandiose cars they manufactured uh, into the depression weren't going to make it and or weren't going to attract enough buyers to support the company and keep it afloat. The first car that they came out that was a bargain car was the Packard 120. Today it's got a following. Initially, a lot of people ripped it. Hmm. And then after the war ended, They went back and did, for the first time, they did a full envelope body and installed a straight eight in it, Uh, an uh, an L-head straight eight, and they called that the Clipper. Is there anything wrong with that car, Ron? No, there's not. But the problem is what everybody else was doing. They were investing their money in new drivetrains, overhead valve V8s, uh, hemispherical combustion V8s, and... It just wasn't enough.
0: Yeah, it's not, Packard Studebaker
1: ended up buying out Packard,
0: and then Studebaker went away. And um, uh-huh. just, yeah, it's just funny how the how, how the chains evolve. Let's get into the fifties, Jimmy. Okay. Because uh, this has got some real surprises in it. Um, what are some of the turkeys in the fifties?
1: I may get burned at the stake for this, but um, as iconic as these cars are. I look at a car, at cars plural, like the um, Chevrolet Nomad. Beautiful car. You, as a Tri Five Chevy guy, probably love it too. Oh sure. Um, No criticisms there. However, it was a two door station wagon that was based on a Motorola show car. And if you remember the Motorola, Motorola, excuse me, Motorama show car was uh, actually based on a Corvette and um
0: it wasn't these cars it wasn't it too family friendly but they were inherently
1: impractical. Right.
0: It wasn't too family friendly and the 50s were all about family. So Correct. so beyond the Nomad, there's another name on your list that I saw. The Thunderbird.
1: Go okay. please. Uh, the Ford Thunderbird, the original Ford Thunderbird, the early bird from 1955 to 1957. Why? They were parts-been-built cars. They were rushed out in kind of a panicked reaction to the Corvette. And by today's standards, and even by their their own day's standards, they have very little in the way of performance, credibility, um, or creating an image for anything else but, like, sh- cruising down a seaside road. Right. They were not... They were not marketed as a performance car. They probably should have been. And that kind of set the stage for the uh, Thunderbird going forward as long as that car existed. It was either a, a luxury coupe, a luxury sedan, or a luxury roadster without a lot of cred.
0: Interesting. Hey, Jimmy, let's get into the 60s. We've got two minutes left. The '60s. What are some? Of, what, what, what do we see here? What were some of the mistakes they were making here? Okay, I picked this
1: out. There's any number ones you could pick out, but this is what I picked. In the early 1960s, from about 1962 on, General Motors had a new line of what they called upmarket compacts: the Oldsmobile F85, the Buick Special Skylark, and the Pontiac Tempest. They were compacts. You could, depending on which one you ordered, you could get an aluminum V8, a turbocharged aluminum V8, or a, uh, a front-rear transaxle car in the, in, in the Pontiac Tempest that had 50-50 weight distribution. They did not find buyers in big numbers, and that's too bad because they were innovative cars. The most successful car GM built of that size in those years was the Chevy Nova, which was a totally, totally conventional design.
0: Huh. So I guess suffice it to say, what makes it a turkey today is based on how many people bought it back then. Um, even though, even though we treasure and chase these cars today, it's they're, they're not what they appear to be to us in this yeah, present correct. day. that's yeah.
1: absolutely right, Ron. Yeah. Um, in, in the end, the automotive business is about making money. Right. Hey, and if the car doesn't do it, if it can't reach its break even point, like the Pack- Packard Clipper couldn't even do.
0: Right. Yeah, it's over. What's Right. It's over. What
1: what's what have you accomplished?
0: Right. Hey, listen, the clock's going to take me. What's the website? People want more information about Hemmings?
1: Yes, uh the website is Hemmings dot com And we also have a uh, a digital daily newsletter that you can sign up called the Hemmings Daily. Perfect. And drop down to the bottom of our webpage, and you can sign up. And you know what the best thing about it is?
0: Yeah. It's free. Perfect. Hey, Jimmy, we'll talk again. It's been far too long, my friend. I'm Ron Anany and in the car, Doctor. We'll be back right after this. Ron in The Car Doctor. Once again, thanks to Jim Donnelly, Hemmings Motor News. More information at Hemmings.com. Quick piece of email. Uh, let's see here. Hey, Ron, I've got a RAV4 six-cylinder 2011. I've changed the coolant, and I've done some fuel injection cleaning. I'm ready to put spark plugs in it. What sort of plugs would you recommend? It's been a great car so far. I appreciate your show, and I listen every week. This comes to us from Casey. Casey, uh, what you're looking to do is, best plugs out there on the market, Denso TTs. Get yourself a set of those. They're going to work really well in that Toyota. They're very specific on their heat range, which is one of the things people don't think a lot about. And one of the advantages with Denso is they are a very precise company in all that they do. All their parts are built to a very exacting standard. But their Denso TT Iridium spark plugs are top shelf, and um, they're right at the top of the list that the car doctor uses. As a matter of fact, we installed a few sets this week at the shop, and uh, we'll continue to do so. One thing I like about Denso, I do not worry about. About the product that I do, um, you know, there are some companies out there that I kind of frown upon and I'm skitterish on using them and I try to avoid it. But Denso, um, you know, very good spark plug, very well thought out. There's a lot of engineering that goes into their spark plugs and a lot of conversation. One of the things you have to remember about the components and the product that they're putting into their plugs, um, it's engineered to last 100,000 miles. And um, they mean it. They've got the engineering reports to prove that, and that's one of the big advantages and one of the reasons and one of the things you want to look at when it comes to plugs. You can read more at densott.com. That's uh, densott.com for you, Casey. And if you have any other questions, drop us an email, ron at cardoctorshow.com, or just uh, give us a call, 855 Boy, this hour went by quick. And um, there's another hour that's uh, going to come by and uh, fly by too. Coming up next hour, we're going to talk to Mike Zip from Zippo's Electronics in New Jersey. Mike is going to be stopping by. We haven't talked to Mike in a while. We want to talk a little bit about, you know, what's new for the holidays. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of stuff you can put in a car today. Um, it's not necessarily gas, tires, and oil. It's uh, electronics. It's GPS. It's video. It's, you know, I remember the days when all you did with gotten a car was you got in behind the wheel, you turned the key, it started, and it ran. But um, Mike's going to be stopping by a little bit later on in the next hour to talk to us about that and uh, how that sort of changed and it continues to evolve. I know he's just back from SEMA, so we'll get the full skinny on what was out there. Till that time, I'm Ron and The Car Doctor, reminding you, good mechanics aren't expensive, they're priceless.